officially, Advent is over. The waiting time is past. Christ has come. The light of the world is here. For that reason, we light all the candles to show the light, the light that illumines the darkness, the light that the darkness cannot drive away, the light that the world cannot extinguish, no matter how hard it tries. Officially, Christ is here, but Christ sometimes seems to be far away from us. We have prepared for Christ's coming. Let us make sure that those preparations that we've done in the weeks before Christmas are not done in vain. Let us make sure that the preparation for the light of the world allows the light of the world to shine through our lives as these candles shine. Our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God our creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved children of God, let us give thanks for all God has done for us. In our distress, we know the presence of Emmanuel. God is with us. Come, let us walk in the light of God. Let us worship the Lord. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we willingly confess our sins, God is merciful, forgives our sins. Not one sin will be held against us. Let us then together confess our sins using the prayer printed in the bulletin. Light of the world, you who bear the dawn to us, we recall today how terrible the darkness you were born to overcome. By your presence, Lord, save us. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. Hear the good news. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. Therefore, in Christ, we stand forgiven. Let us now prepare our hearts and minds to hear the Holy Scripture. Let us hear Scripture and not just hear it, but let it enter our hearts and our minds. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord from Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. God's mercy remembered. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew. 
involving Jesus' first road trip, which was required because of the presence of evil and fear in the world. The light came, and already there was an attempt to extinguish it. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. The return from Egypt. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Well, officially Christmas is over. That is Christmas Day. It is still Christmas tide, and we should still be celebrating. The post-Christmas letdown is sometimes awful to behold. Some of you have probably experienced the chaos of Christmas afternoon. The presents have been opened, wrapping paper is strewn about, batteries have fallen out of some of the toys, some of the toys have probably been stepped on and broken, undoubtedly siblings and cousins who may be peeved because they didn't receive exactly what they wanted or because his is bigger than mine, or whatever, have been having their squabbles and fights, and even some of the adults, who although they are related, would probably rather not spend a lot of time together, have had their share of, is this ever going to end? When can I get away from so-and-so? I know it's only once a year, but please, will this afternoon never end? This is not what Christmas should be about, of course, but very often that's what happens. The peace and goodwill and cheer of the midnight service and the early Christmas morning often deteriorate into chaos and rancor and discord and darkness. What? Christ has come. The light of the world is here. The sacrificial gift has been given. The world is all right. The world is back to the way it was created. 
We're now living in Eden, aren't we? Not. This lection this morning, this horrible lection, which in many churches is skipped over because of its horror, shows that the coming of the light in the world did not end the darkness. The darkness is still out there and still struggling. Jesus' messianic ministry is sometimes difficult to understand. Some scholars have difficulty with it and suggest that Jesus was a failure because he did not bring final and complete redemption of the world as a socio-political redemption. This difficulty is spoken of in Brian Sherman's book, Who Do You Say That I Am? Jesus Through Jewish Eyes. Rabbis and scholars engage in an ancient bother in a new conversation. Some would say that the failure, you Christians are celebrating the birth of the light, and yet look what's going on. Furthermore, the skeptics say, in your very own scripture, there is an attempt to destroy this new creation, this new being, this new hope. It's all a fraud, say some of the skeptics. There is no difference in the world. What's next is exactly what's been before. Sure, you can have fun with your Christmas. Enjoy your Santa Clauses and your presents and your candy canes and your tinsels and your Christmas tree. But oh, for goodness sakes, don't take that manger seriously. Because after all, the world didn't. Well, we all know that. We all know that the world does not take Christ seriously. We all know that the world is threatened by this Messiah. The Jewish leaders were threatened by his ministry years later. Some of the words that are used in the narrative today are the same words that are used in the crucifixion narrative. The word that Herod uses for destroying the babies is the same word that's used when the crowd calls out, crucify him, destroy him, get rid of him. This narrative is a foreshadowing of the passion of Easter. Christmas and Easter are linked together. We could not have one without the other. Both of them are joyful and sad celebrations together. Sad at Christmas? Yes, there's sorrow in Christmas. That's why we've had in the past the purple, the penitence, the understanding that Christ came to a broken world, a world that we humans made a mess out of and continue to make a mess out of, a world that is not as God created and intended, a world that in many of the Jewish stories have God weeping over it, And although there is no such mention in Scripture, I am sure that God has been weeping over what his children have been doing. The whole of Christmas is the sending of a Savior to redeem the world from the mess that we continually get ourselves in. Christ came, the message is here, the darkness is still around, there are enemies. There are enemies of the state and enemies of the church. 
and there are those that we call enemy. Herod was an enemy, an enemy of this new creation. Herod was not a nice person. He murdered his favorite wife. He murdered at least one of his sons, and he had ordered that when he died, a number of prominent citizens of Jerusalem were to be killed so that there would be plenty of warning at his death. Fortunately for Jerusalem, this order was countermanded when he died. Herod was a tyrant. He was not well-liked for good reasons. He was grudgingly accepted because of his building campaign. He had rebuilt the temple and done other buildings, but he was not a nice person. We don't really have a modern equivalent. He's not exactly Saddam Hussein or Hitler, but he could have been. And here in the midst of our Christmas story is this evil tyrant, this this black story of the destruction of children who have done nothing except have the misfortune of being born at the same time as the Savior. Where is God, some ask. Why does God allow this to happen? Why couldn't God have struck Herod down at that point instead of the innocent children? It's a legitimate question, and not one that we really have a good answer to, except God's ways are not our ways. This was a horrible thing to happen. It did fulfill a scripture. God used this horrible incident. Now, historians may tell you that the incident never actually happened, and it's possible. Given Herod and what he was capable of doing, it's quite possible that Herod would have done such a thing. On the other hand, the historians of the era do not record such an event. This doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Bethlehem in those days was a very small village, insignificant, and Josephus and other historians probably wouldn't have bothered with, oh, the murder of a few dozen babies in Jerusalem, or in in Bethlehem, no big deal. Murders happen all the time. More important people die. So the fact that it's not recorded does not necessarily mean that it did not happen. On the other hand, it's part of the biblical story, and very often part of the the biblical story is taken as a story. We know that there are parts of the Bible that are stories, ancient stories retold to help us understand how God works in the world and our relationship to God. Whether or not this horrible massacre occurred is not the point of the story. The point of the story is that as soon as the light comes in the world, as soon as the sacrificial gift is given, evil rears up its head again. One of the reasons that the story of creation and the fall is read at the Christmas Eve service has to do with this story, human nature. God gave us free will, and look what we did with it. Skeptics again, your God, some God. He wants the world to be good, but look what he gave you. He gave you a choice, and look what you did with it. 
you go and do evil. Humph. Well, think about it. What kind of relationship to God would we have if we did not have free will? If we could not choose good or evil? If we could not choose the good or the bad? If we were simply programmed to worship God and that was that? There's a science fiction story about the future in which criminals are implanted with something so that as soon as they start thinking evil thoughts, this thing in their brain switches on and they stop thinking evil thoughts and immediately begin to think kind things. It's a wonderful little story, but think about it. Would you really want to be programmed by a God that only allowed you to think good things? Would you really want to worship a God who had created puppets, who could only do things that pleased God? It would be a lot simpler. It also would mean there would be no Christmas story, there would be no Easter, because there would be no need for it. True, there'd be a world without evil, but it would be a world meaningless, because the making of choices is an important part of our Christian life. Being confronted every day with evil and the chance to do evil. Not just, there's also bad and there's evil. We all have a chance to do bad and we all do. We also, deep in our hearts, all of us have the ability to do real evil. Now, what is evil? And that becomes an interesting question. We talk blithely about the enemies of the state the enemies of the church, and our personal enemies. Who and what are they? Well, a segment of the government and a segment of the Christian church are trying to convince us that Islam, the religion, and therefore all who practice it, are our enemy, simply because they practice a religion that has an element of radicalness in it and has behaved so. Is Christianity free of this kind of element? Of course not. Look carefully at the history of Christianity. The attempts to purify Christianity, to eliminate those elements that are, quote, enemies of the Bible, enemies of God, created some of the most horrible things in the history of the church. The Crusades although not entirely religious. Your church history Sunday school teacher would tell you that the Crusades were done for purely religious motives to redeem Jerusalem from those horrid infidels. There were other reasons, and there usually are in situations like that. We don't like to think, we like to think of war as purely religious. That makes it somehow right instead of bad. But there were the Crusades, and thousands of people, including children, went to, quote, redeem the holy city and ended up dying under horrible circumstances. And we had the Inquisition, again, an attempt to purify the church of her enemies, and we all know the kind of excesses that came out of that. And we have the religious history of our own country, 
The Puritans and the Pilgrims were not known for their religious tolerance either. My own ancestors were chased out of Massachusetts because they were not pure enough. They simply did not fit the mode of the pure church. The church sometimes chooses enemies unwisely, as does the government. You're old enough, most of you, to remember World War II and the announcement that all Japanese are our enemies and we will round them up and incarcerate them and therefore they can't hurt us. And we know what happened to some of those who spoke out against that. My father was one of them. He was visited by the FBI and told to shut up or else. He did not. Uh, they, never, they didn't arrest him, but they kept an eye on him. And years later, when the, some of the files were opened after the death of J. Edgar Hoover, there was his name among the enemies of the state. It is not hard as a Christian to become an enemy of the state. It is difficult sometimes to coexist with the state, and we all have had our struggles with dealing with church and state. This is not a sermon on church and state, but a sermon on choosing the evil that you fight, because there is evil out there, and we all know it, and there is evil in our hearts, and unless we admit that it's there, we are deceiving ourselves. Part of the Christian message is understanding our own nature, our own human fallen nature, and dealing with those parts of it that we don't like. Envy, greed, hate, discord. And all of you can say, well, I don't hate anyone. But how about trying to get along with certain people? Many of us have had neighbors that are difficult. Some of us have family that we would rather not be with. None of us would go to the extreme of Herod to root out someone we disagree with. But religion has done that on occasion. The church makes mistakes. The church is, after all, a human invention. Sometimes we forget that. We forget that the institution that we call church and celebrate rightfully and wonderfully was created by humans for the glory of God and not for the glory of humans or one particular doctrinal point. We go through the week. All of us are confronted with choices, the choices of good, the choice of evil. God created us that way. God gave us free will, and we've misused it time and time again. God had a chance to wipe out the world, all of it, and God chose to save one family. We all know that story. God had had other occasions on which God has been tempted to wipe out the world. Remember the wonderful story of the argument with God when God is so frustrated with the evil of a city that God simply says, I'm going to wipe out this city. I have had it. And the good person argues, um, excuse me, God, I don't want to be a nuisance, but suppose there are a hundred good people in that city. Oh, all right, says God. I'll leave the city alone. Uh, excuse me, God, I'm coming back again. How about 50? 
Oh, for the sake of 50. Um, God, I know I'm being a nuisance, but uh, suppose there are 10. All right, for 10, I'll leave the city alone. Uh, God, I know I'm really bothering you, but suppose there are only five. Well, for five, I'll leave the city. And one last time, the argument arguer appears again. Excuse me, God, I know you're tired of hearing this, but suppose in all that vast city, there is only one good person, and all the rest are not. And God's response is, for one person, I will save the city. And that is the God that we know. We make mistakes, there is evil in the world, but God is not destroying the whole world. God is giving us a chance to carry out the mission that Christ gave us. We are to be the light of the world. We are to use that free will to choose what enemy we fight. We are to use that will to decide what is evil and what is not. We are to use that free will to not simply be told by denominational leaders, by other Christians, by other groups, or by governments, what evil to fight. We are not puppets. We are created in God's image, and we can and will bring the light and make a difference in God's world. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, in this season of celebration, it seems so rude to think about evil, and yet it's there. O God, in this season of celebration, we don't want to think about sorrow, but sorrow and injustice are there. O God, we have received the light. Let us send that light forth. Remind us always to choose wisely what we choose to call evil and to fight in your name. Amen.